0: I misheard what she said. And she's like, yeah, my sister just had a baby. I was like, they named him Walmart? Like, you know, they didn't. They named him a normal name. But sometimes people name their kids really weird things. And I know we have some people in our church who are pregnant and are thinking about names and Darby and I are adopting. And so we're thinking about names. And I'm always suggesting crazy names that Darby are shooting down. Uh, So I was looking back at what some people have named their kids throughout history. In 1920, 10 people in the US named their daughter Darth, like Darth Vader. Yeah, Darth was a real popular name in the 1920s for little girls, Um, I don't know why. In 1970, um, someone named their kid Marijuana Pepsi. It was the 70s, you know, makes sense. In the 1990s, there were hundreds of kids, not dozens, hundreds of kids named ABCD. I guess it teaches them their alphabet, you know. And of course, recently, people have named their children things like Hashtag Buddy Bear, Number 16 Bug Shelter, and uh, recently, just last year, there was someone who named their daughter Girl. You know, simple, to the point, Girl. Um, sometimes, though, I tell a name to Darby, and I'm like, what about Zoltan? Powerful, cosmic, wizard name, and Darby's like, no way. Or sometimes I suggest another name, and she goes, I knew somebody named that, and I can't name my kid that because it reminds me of them. Like they were a crazy person. Maybe they, she dated them or maybe she knew them or babysat for them. And she's like, we can't name our kids that. But names in our culture don't really have the power and weight that they did in the ancient world. What you name your kid may affect how their teased were picked on at school. But it's not going to affect the trajectory of their life like names in the ancient world did. In the Bible, a name spoke to the character of a person and the destiny of a person. A name wasn't just something that you call someone, it was something that spoke to who they were and who they were becoming. So a name was a really big deal. And what we see in the Bible all the time is people undergo name changes. They start out with one name, and then God usually intervenes and says, no, no, that name doesn't capture the trajectory of your life. That doesn't capture your purpose. That doesn't capture your destiny. Let me give you a new name. And so we see people like Abram become Abraham and Jacob become Israel and Simon become Peter. And there's more going on than just getting a hip new nickname. God saying, I have a bigger destiny for you than what you thought. Now, over the years, when I was a kid, I was called a bunch of different nicknames. Um, when I was little, I was called Mallet. Alex the Mallet. And I was called that because I hit people with things. And they gave me the nickname Alex the Mallet because I would go around and hit people. I would take toys and hit people. Um, As I got older and I began to get heavier, they named me Biscuit because I loved to eat biscuits. And so they'd make a tray of biscuits and I'd eat the whole tray. And they're like, we're going to start calling you Biscuit. And finally, my Philly friends have dubbed me Lex. And I'm like, okay, I can go with Lex. It's a lot better than Mallet or Biscuit. But when God renames you When he renames someone, he's telling them something about who they are and something about why they are here, what their purpose is. And so I'd love to have Jesus whisper to me, like, you were born Alexander, which means great warrior, but I'm going to start calling you Zedekiah, which means God's justice or something. You know, wouldn't that be cool if Jesus walked up to you and you're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing here. I don't know why I'm here. And he's like, oh, you've been called this, but I'm going to give you a new name that's going to tell you why you're here and who you're becoming. Um, you could flip open Google and look up the name he said and be like, okay, that makes sense. Now I know who I am and what potential I have and what future I can get to. Speaking of which, Jesus promises a host of things to his followers, to people becoming students of the way that he lived and loved. In Revelation 2 and 3, he writes to the seven major regions that have churches at the time in the first century. And he gives them encouragement and instruction and correction and a promise. And in revelation two seventeen, he says um he promises to write a new name for all of us who are his faithful students on a white stone and give it to us and so someday when you see jesus he's going to hand you a rock and there's going to be a name on it and you're like that's not my name and he's like it is your name it's your true name this is who you really are and you're going to look at that and you're going oh man that explains who I, I have become and where i'm going and everything that makes up who i am but this message isn't about our names. This message is about God's name. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about who is God? What is his character? What is his nature? Because most of the time, when I have discussions with someone about whether there is or isn't a God, the discussion boils down more to what God is like than really about whether or not there one. They start telling me, I can't believe in a God like this, or I can't believe that God would do this. And so really, I think what we need to get to the heart of is what is God like? And today, we're talking about how God is Yahweh. So, let me set the stage for our passage today. Moses has really messed up. He murdered somebody. You know, kind of the biggest mess up you can make. And uh, when the authorities came knocking, he fled into the wilderness. So, he went into like deep country, away from the cities, and he met a country girl, and he married her and started working for her dad, watching his sheep. So, imagine commit a murder in philadelphia and so you flee out into the middle of nowhere alabama or something and you meet a country girl and you marry her and you start working for her dad um that's kind of the story of where we find moses here and so he's watching his father-in-law sheep he's out in the wilderness and he notices something, a bush catches on fire. Now this isn't unusual, it's a dry, arid desert, bushes catch on fire. And so he's sitting there, you know, poking some sheep, just sitting there, and he sees something burning over there. He's like, okay, well, it's something, you know, not a complete waste of a day. But then it gets interesting because it never burns up. He expects the bush to burn up and be done, and it never burns up, and so he decides, I'm gonna climb up there and check it out. When God interrupts our routine, Many times it is him revealing some new aspect of his character to us, and that's exactly what happens here to Moses. In Exodus 3, verses 1 through 15, it says Moses was shepherding the flock of his father in law Jethro. That's a perfect country name right there, by the way. The priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, which was known as the mountain of God. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush, and as Moses looked, saw the bush was on fire but it did not burn up so moses thought i must go over and look at this remarkable sight why isn't the bush burning up then when the lord saw that he had gone over to look god called out to him from the bush moses moses here i am he answered do not come any closer remove the sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy ground Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. It's not good when a murderer comes into contact with God, you know, and he's like, oh man, God knows what I've done. And he answered, I will certainly be with you. We're going to skip down to verse 12. Sorry, I shouldn't have told you that. And he answered, I will certainly be with you, and this will be a sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God this mountain so god gives him a mission he says you're going to go back to the place where you committed a murder and you're going to bring my people out of egypt and moses is like i really don't want to go back there this wanted posted through my face back there and he says yeah yeah you're going to do this and moses is like i can't do this because they don't know what who you are i don't know who you are what's your name and then in verse 13 then moses asked god if i go to the israelites and say to them the god of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask the god of our fathers what is his name what should i tell them And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. And this is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. So bear with me here for a second. I take off my shoes. Isn't that a weird detail in the story? Let's see if I can actually do it. And yes, these are Star Wars socks, in case you're wondering, and my socks match. I took that extra effort. I usually don't do that. But isn't that weird? The story starts out, God's like, I'm about to tell you my name, but first you've got to take your shoes off. It's like, you've ever been over to somebody's house and it's really nice, and they're like, leave your shoes outside. do animal, you know, like, <laughs> what's going on here? Um, God is actually doing some Eden imagery here. When humanity left the presence of God, they had to put on clothes because now the world was harsh and difficult. They had to put on shoes because they could now bruise their feet. They had to put on clothes because now the cold could hurt their bodies. And when he's walking back into the presence of God, he says, You're going to take off these shoes as a picture of no longer is this separation between God and man. God is restoring the relationship between God and man. Shoes are just a symbol of the distance between us and Yahweh. And Yahweh is saying, I'm inviting you in, take your shoes off, come and experience me. But he also mentions that his name is holy, it's special, it's important, it's not to be taken lightly. And Hebrew scribes, the, the Israelite scribes, had the job of constantly copying, copying the Torah, and the Old Testament, that we have here and the reason that we have it and we have thousands upon thousands of ancient world copies is because there was a group in israel who did nothing but copy this all the time onto new manuscripts and new manuscripts and new manuscripts so that the next generation would have it they were called scribes their whole job was to just copy the scriptures but they had such a reverence for this name the name yahweh That every time that they would come to it some of them would actually change their clothes and put on clean clothes before they wrote the name Yahweh some of them would actually go so far as to go and bathe and then come back and be clean physically before they write Yahweh some of them would get a new quill to write with because they're like Yahweh's name is too sacred too holy to write with an old thing and so when God is saying here take off your shoes he's like saying this is an important name. This is a holy moment. This is something you take seriously. You don't just walk in with your muddy shoes on. You approach me with respect. Now, the name Yahweh appears over 6,500 times in the Hebrew Old Testament. So the scribes were probably really clean if they were out there bathing every time, you know? Um, so maybe that's why we get the idea of uh, cleanliness next to godliness. Because every time, that, that joke is really cool. um, Anyways. So you say, Alex, wait a minute. Hold on a second. I haven't seen the word Yahweh ever in the Bible. So what are you talking about? Um, we're going to get there. I'll talk about where this name comes from. But the name was so revered by the time of Jesus, by the time Jesus is walking around in the first century, that Jewish people never said the name Yahweh. Anymore. Found six thousand five hundred times in the Old Testament, but they never said it. Because they were like, we need to show such respect for this name, we need to wash before we even write it, we need to use a new quill before we even write it, we shouldn't even say the name because it's too holy for a filthy, dirt person like me to even say. And so they began saying Adonai when they talked about God, and they would say Adonai, which means master, and they would say Adonai wants me to do this, or Adonai said this, which gets into a whole messy explanation of why sometimes people today call God Jehovah. And I released a little, I put a link to a video in our weekly email about how we got the name Jehovah by them using Adonai and mixing it with Yahweh, and Yahweh is actually what's written. It's fascinating if you're a word nerd like me, but for most of you, you don't care, and that's okay. Um, so you say, Alex, what do you mean God's name is Yahweh? I don't see Yahweh in this passage, and I don't see 6,500 times of there being the word Yahweh in the Old Testament when I read it. So every time you read in your Bible the word Lord, such as in verse 2 here in Exodus 3, it says Lord all in caps, that's the Hebrew word Yahweh. Or any time you see all in caps God, G-O-D, that's the Hebrew word Yahweh. And so when English translators translated from the Hebrew, they respected what the Hebrew people had been doing, not using the name Yahweh, keeping Sacred, and saying Adonai, or when we translate it into English, Lord, or they would say just God, all in caps. But these are actually in Hebrew. It's not a title here. It's not saying Lord. It's not saying God. It's actually saying a name. It's saying Yahweh, Yahweh. And so that's how we can say it's found six thousand five hundred times. And so I understand why we did this. We wanted to be respectful to the name. We wanted to take off our shoes and show that this name is holy and not overuse it or make it cheap. But in doing that, I think we've also made God distant and impersonal because we don't use a name for him anymore. We just say God. And at best, we might say Jesus, which I think is good, that's actually a name. But when we read the Old Testament, especially God seems distant and removed because we don't find his name like we do the name of Jesus in the New Testament. We just see titles like Lord and God, but actually there's a name here, the name Yahweh. And this passage here that's translated, I am, or I am who I am, is actually the name Yahweh. So maybe you're like, okay, Alex, big deal, God has a name. Why should I care? Like, what's the big deal? Um, I think it is a big deal because if God has a name, that means he's a person, he's not a force, He's not a power or an abstract idea. And I feel like a lot of our culture and a lot of our society has dismissed God as an abstract idea. Have you ever seen this on Twitter? Two people start fighting over an idea. But I was like, if we were sitting in the same room looking at each other, we would actually be two people relating over an idea rather than two people fighting over an abstract idea there's no relationship there on twitter there's just the idea and that's what we've done with god we've removed any kind of relationship actually meeting him and deciding what he's like into well now he's just an abstract idea that i can dismiss without actually knowing or experience god is a feeling relational being and we can have a relationship with him because he has a name Now, you can dismiss an idea, but to dismiss a person, you have to get to know them. You have to meet them. If God has a name, he's a person, not an abstract idea that we can debate about or that we even have to defend. He's a person who can defend himself. If God is a force, like in Star Wars, they have the force. No one prays to the force or talks to the force or has a relationship with the force. The force is something to be controlled it's something to figure out how to use it so that you can use it to your advantage but if god is a force he can be coerced or controlled but if he's a person we have to have a relationship with him. he's someone that we have to be in relationship with and a healthy relationship is not coerced or controlled it's mutual it's mutual give and take a god without a name is an impersonal force A god with a name is a personal relational being so yahweh has a Now my mom used to say something when I was growing up in Tennessee. In Tennessee, there's just stray cats wandering all over the place. So it's a little like Philadelphia. And um, man, the jokes are terrible today, I'm sorry. So stray cats would come up to our house all the time and we already had cats, so we had cat food out. So the cats would start eating at our cat food bowl and my sister and I would be like, a new cat! And my mom would always say this, don't name the stray cat or the stray cat becomes our cat. Right, like once you name it, there's some attachment. And I think that perhaps sometimes we're hesitant to use God's name for the same reason. Once we use a name for God, all of a sudden there's some attachment there. He's more than just an idea that I can ignore. He becomes a person that I can't avoid. Now, humans are funny creatures, right? Because we name pets. Have you ever thought about how weird it is to name an animal? Like there's these animals that hang out around us, and they shed fur, and we take care of them, and we give them food, and we name them things. Why do we name them? Have you ever named a vehicle? I had a Jeep and I named it Big Red. It was this big red Jeep and it had four-wheel drive and I was like, Big Red. And I, I don't know why, but I named it. Maybe you've named other things. Isn't it weird that we name stuff? Other animals don't name each other, despite the cats. They don't name each other. One of the first jobs that God gave humans was to name the animals in Genesis 2.20. I think we have names, I think we name things because our creator has a name. The first thing that we ever knew in existence had a name. And so we've just been naming everything that we've encountered since then. Um, I was reading some interesting psychology, I thought it was interesting, but I'm a word nerd, about why we name stuff. And psychologists are really confused about this. They're like, I don't really know why we name things like our pets or like our vehicles or like we name our computers or we name our houses. Like why are we naming stuff? Why do we name our boats? And uh, they suggest three things. They say perhaps to attribute a human-like mind to the behavior of something like if you have a vehicle that seems to have a mind of its own, you might name it, perhaps after a very difficult ex-girlfriend. And uh, you might name something to convey trust or attachment, or because you're feeling lonely and just naming an object makes you feel like you have a relationship. I think that all these things apply when we use the name of God. By using the name of God, we're admitting that there is a grand mind at work in the world and in our lives. By using the name of God, we're conveying trust and a relationship with that God. And finally, by using the name of God, we're admitting that without Him, there's some part of our soul that will always be lonely and empty. So God has a name. He says that his name is I Am, that is Yahweh. But what does I Am tell us? So the name Yahweh means I Am. And what does that mean? If the names in the Old Testament reveal character and destiny, what does the name Yahweh reveal about who God is? Well, the name is incredibly dense, as we would expect the name for a supernatural being to be. In Acts 17, 27, it says God did these things so that people would seek him and perhaps they would reach out for him and find him because he's never far away from any of us. God is always just one arm stretched away. For in him, we live and move and have our being. And some of our own poets have said we are his offspring. So I want to really hone in on this thought. I am, part of that means in him, we live and move and have our being. Yahweh means that in him, we have our being. Yahweh could exist without anything else, but nothing else could exist without Yahweh. He's the only being in the universe that is completely fulfilled in himself. But I am, I am who I am, also means what he is, who he is, doesn't change. Yahweh isn't going to wake up one day and be like, I'm just, (laughs) you know what? It's time. I'm just going to destroy you. No, like, he's consistent. There aren't any surprises in his character. One day he's not volatile, and the next day he's calm. Have you ever known someone who's like emotionally spikes up and down like a roller coaster? That's not Yahweh. Yahweh is consistent, he's steady, he's without um, dramatic change. Now, as the Old Testament story unfolds, Yahweh begins to reveal more about who he is in his character, and then also, Um, people who encounter Yahweh further refine what his name means. Here's some of the names that are given throughout the Old Testament story. Yahweh is my banner of victory when I feel defeated. Yahweh is my shepherd when I wander in the wilderness. Yahweh heals me when I am broken. Yahweh is present with me when I feel alone. Yahweh is the righteousness when nothing is going right. Yahweh makes me good when I keep failing again and again. Yahweh provides when I lack. Yahweh brings peace in the middle of conflict. Yahweh sees me when I suffer. And so when we say Yahweh, who are we talking about? Right? We, we have to say, like, so, so which part of God is Yahweh, right? Yahweh is the Trinity. And we're going to talk in a couple weeks about this idea of the Trinity and, um, My brain's already broken thinking about it, but I'll try to break it down in a way that makes sense. The Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yahweh is not a part of the Trinity. Like, sometimes we would think, like, oh, is God the Father Yahweh, and then God the Son is Jesus, and the Spirit, we don't know his name? No, the Trinity is Yahweh. Jesus and the Father and the Spirit, Yahweh. Um, Yahweh is... Every good Jewish person in ancient times was taught the Shema, is what they called it. And it comes from Exodus 6, 4-9. And, and it was this verse, and you would memorize this when you were a little kid. Like, we teach kids ABCs, or we teach them Numbers. They would learn this verse. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. Love, Yahweh, your God, with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength." And so when Jesus, remember when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. But here's the first thing they're taught. Yahweh is one. Yahweh is not just one part of the Trinity. He is the Trinity. He's one. Now, another thing we have to talk about as we talk about God's name, and you've probably heard this at some hard point in your life, is taking the Lord's name in vain. Has anyone ever heard this phrase? Like most people, whether you've been around church or you haven't, you've heard someone say this, like, don't take the Lord's name in vain. Maybe you were hammering something and you missed it, hit your um, hit your finger, and your nail turned black, and you expressed Jesus' name with great passion in that moment, and some religious person came up to you and said, don't take the Lord's name in vain. You know, like, something like that could have happened. Uh, This comes, of course, from the Ten Commandments in Exodus 27. It says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold guiltless those who take his name in vain. Now, it's interesting that we've reduced this idea down to swearing, right? Like, that means don't swear. But that's actually, in context, not what it's talking about. Because in the Ten Commandments, right, it goes like this. You shall not worship demons. That's a pretty big deal. You should not murder people. Big deal. you should not commit adultery with someone else's wife like hey these are big deals. don't swear like that doesn't seem to fit the flow right what is god actually saying well he told israel i want you to be the people where my name dwells he says i want you to be the representation the reflection of what i'm like and so when he's saying taking my name in vain he means as israelites you're my representative of earth People are going to look at you to tell what Yahweh's character and nature is like. And he says, if you don't reflect me, if you don't live like I would live and love like I would love, you are taking my name in vain. You're not accurately reflecting my name. You're not being a good representative of my character. Yahweh was warning them not to act contrary to his nature her character taking the lord's name in vain isn't about swearing <laughs> it's about claiming to be a representative of his nature and not living and loving like you would so the next time you uh swear and somebody's like you're taking the name of lord the lord's name in vain you'd be actually by your behavior of being judgmental you have taken the lord's name in vain can just flip it right don't do that okay there are many people who say i'm a christian right across our culture across our world but they don't reflect the nature of jesus they've taken the name jesus christian in vain when we live and speak to people in a manner that jesus would not we are not acting like representatives of his name speaking of jesus we know jesus as we've talked about in this series is the most clear picture we have of what yahweh is like how he acts how he behaves so what does the name jesus mean does anybody know Salvation of salvation of yeah, yeah, that, that's absolutely right. Yahweh saves, or salvation of Yahweh. You're absolutely right. So the name Jesus means Yahweh saves, Yahweh rescues. Jesus saves us from the selfish tendency that we all have to be self-destructive and to hurt others. He takes away our name, and he gives us his name. He offers us a way of life, his way of living and loving by dying, he swallowed the death that we should die so that we might live the life that he lived. Now, one of the things Jesus also teaches his followers to do is to pray in his name, right? And you've probably heard people do this. They say, in Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Uh, in John 14, 14, he says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And you're like, whoa, that sounds good. So, Jesus, I need a Lamborghini. Today, In Jesus' name, amen. Right? Wouldn't that be great? Um, That's not what it means to pray in his name. Praying in the name of Jesus doesn't mean tacking on in Jesus' name, I pray, unto the end of every prayer. It means asking for the things that Jesus would want if he were physically standing here. It means being a representative of his name and what his name would ask for in our situation. It means we've become such good students of the way that he lived and loved, the way that he thought about things. We know what he would ask for if he were here. Now, I've been married to Darby six years, and there's some restaurants I can walk into, and I can be like, I know what she would order here. I've gotten to know her well enough that in certain restaurants I know she's going to take a number one with a large sweet tea and a large fry. And uh, at Chick-fil-A, you know, I I just know that about her because I've been around her enough. If we spend enough time becoming students of how Jesus lived and loved, we'll begin to know what he prayed for. And so he's not telling us that if you ask anything in my name, I will do it, and that means just ask for anything you want. He's saying, if you ask for anything that I would ask for, I will do it. But it also speaks to our credentials to walk into the throne room of Yahweh, the ruler of the universe, and say, hey, I want something. Have you ever thought about how blatant we are in our prayers sometimes? We're just like, God, I need to pass this test. God, I need this house. I need my neighbors to quiet down. I need this to happen now. We're walking into a throne room where angels are scared to tread. And we're walking up to the throne. And uh, there's sometimes when I pray for things, and later on I'm like, boy, that was stupid. There's a couple times in my life I prayed for people I was dating and I was like, don't let them break up with me. Let's get back together, God. And I'm glad that didn't happen because then I wouldn't have married Darby. And I'm like, man, that person was a mess. Why did I want to get back together with them? But as we barge into the throne room of heaven and we say, I need this to happen. I mean, there's probably some angels sitting around who are like, who is this guy? Like, what right does he have to come in here and just say these stupid things? He's even asking for something that doesn't make any sense. It would be like if you barked into the Oval Office and you were like, I wanna talk about what we're doing in the Middle East. I have some ideas. Bitcoin. I think if Bitcoin could solve this whole thing and like, advisors and Secretary of State would be like, who is this guy? Like, he doesn't know anything, get him out of here. And then Secret Service is tasing you, you know? But you could walk into heaven, into the throne room before Yahweh, and you can start just saying stupid stuff that has no context or understanding of the bigger picture of what's going on, and God doesn't say shut. Like you know, no angel comes by and slaps you. And if someone says, "What is this guy doing here?" Jesus says, "Oh, he's with me he's here in my name. He's my representative in this place." Now, just think about that. That makes me a little bit more cautious about what I pray for. Because when I have a dumb idea in the throne room of heaven, Jesus is taking the blame for that. I'm saying, I'm here as a representative of Jesus to bring what Jesus wants to the table in this divine council room here. And sometimes I come up with my own ideas, and I'm passing them off in the name of Jesus. Prayer is entering into a discussion with Yahweh about how the world should be run. And when we come up with stupid or selfish ideas and people are like how did this idiot get in this meeting jesus says i invited him he's here on my behalf he represents what i want done in the world jesus says show their selfish and stupid ideas the same courtesy you would show my brilliant and selfless ideas that's how our prayers are seen. In when i pray about something stupid when i pray about something selfish god's like i'm going to show this the same attention that i would show what jesus has for me. this changes the way i pray and it i and i pray to represent jesus's interests not my own ambitions now i want to end with a verse from the old testament um one last verse about names names denote relationship darby was born darby brown and now she's darby Animate. i'm so sorry you had to learn how to spell Animate. Her name used to be so simple. Um, she stopped being Darby Brown, and she became Darby Hanavans because she entered into a relationship with me. When we take Yahweh's name, we enter into the family of God. In Isaiah 44:5, 5, it says, Some will proudly claim, I belong to Yahweh. And he says, Others will write Yahweh's name on their hands. Do you remember that uh, movie Toy Story? Mm-hmm. There's been like four of them now, but... In that first one especially, like the toys had Andy's name written on their foot. I should have wrote got his name on my foot. That would have been real cool. Yeah, no, okay, it wouldn't have been. Um, anyways, but it was a sense of belonging. It was a sense that they had a family because they were all loved by Andy. They all belonged to Andy. Then Andy wrote his name on their feet because he wanted them to know that they belonged to him. They belonged with him. They had a family. They had a place. You belong to Yahweh. If you're a student of Jesus, you have accepted his free gift of salvation, it means that Yahweh loves you. And sometimes we need to be reminded who we belong to. We need to remember that we are Yahweh's. We need to remember that Yahweh is the God who is our banner over us in victory. And Yahweh is our shepherd when we wander in the wilderness. And Yahweh heals us when we're broken, and Yahweh is present when we feel alone and Yahweh makes things right when nothing is going right and Yahweh makes us good when we fail again and again and Yahweh provides when we lack and Yahweh brings peace and conflict and Yahweh sees me when I suffer and sometimes we need to remember we are Yahweh and so this morning I have up here um, this stamp It has the Hebrew word for Yahweh on it and I have an ink pad and I'm just, just like, just as a reminder Yahweh the God who sees me when I'm alone. The God who goes before me and watches over me, who provides when I lack um, Just like this verse in Isaiah says, some will write Yahweh's name on their hands because they belong to him. I suggest you come and you, after the service, stamp the name of Yahweh onto your hand. Just as a reminder, you belong to him. John Mark Comer, a pastor in Portland, says this, Yahweh wants living, breathing people to put his name on display in the world. He wants people to show the world what he is like by how we live. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for revealing your name. Thank you for coming into our world and showing us what you're like. But thank you years before that, saying, this is my name. This is who I am. This is what I want to do in the world. This is how I feel about humanity. And we have the great privilege to say, I belong to Yahweh. I belong to Jesus. I'm part of the family of God. I get to walk into the council room of heaven and bring to you my ideas about what should happen in the world. Thank you for this privilege. Forgive me for so often using a title like God or Lord instead of using a name like Yahweh or Jesus. Forgive me for so often not taking advantage of this great privilege I have to walk into the throne room of heaven and say, Yahweh this is what i think needs to happen in our world in the name of jesus i stand here as a representative of what needs to happen on your planet god i pray that you will make us a people who live out your name and reflect how you live and love that we haven't taken your name in vain but we accurately reflect your character and nature to our community and to our neighbors to our workplaces and city i pray all these things like i believe jesus would pray